Hello and welcome to Making Mindfulness Fun, or thank you for joining us if you're listening on Defy the Norm podcast. Um, Today I'm really excited because a lot of parents, it's Monday, December 20th, and a lot of parents have their kids home from school for the next two weeks. And so I wanted to use this as an opportunity uh, to give you some tips and some strategies and maybe some even mindset, uh, mindfulness shifts that you can do while your kids are at home and see if you integrate these things and especially if you do normally send your kids to school and you have a little bit different routine, this is a great opportunity to try to really reconnect with your kid and develop a great relationship because I have my wonderful young adult here, Gabby, with me today. And uh, I think the relationship we have is pretty special. I don't think many people get to experience this. I know that when I when she was born almost 21 years ago, that I set out the intention to create a different type of relationship than I had with my family and with my mom. And so I think some of these things are, um, they might be a little hard to hear, but I really do think they have value and that you can attain an amazing relationship. And I think a lot of people are suffering right now. So as much as this might be hard to hear some of the things and um, know that it's coming from a place of kindness. And I really do want you to get to experience the kind of Joy we have, so thanks for joining me, Gabby. To inspire you to boldly and unapologetically live outside the box, dream big, and question everything. This is the Defy the Norm podcast with nomads with a purpose. Cool, we are in Polson and it was freezing and it's funny, the second I start recording, I'm like, oh, it's kind of hot, it's kind of hot now here. Okay, here we go. So parents are struggling in the sense, at least from what I can hear, um, from almost every client I work with and almost every client Victor works with is that uh, parents are struggling in the sense that their kids feel a little bit angry, a little bit resentful for maybe how the world is. Their their kids aren't listening very well. Maybe they're, they used to be much more uh, happy-go-lucky and now they're irritable or they're snapping at them or some of the things I thought of like... Uh, kids seem to be or avoiding them like uh, some kids are really anxious and depressed and they don't want to connect with their kids and some kids are seem to be uh, struggling in school not getting good grades like they used to or they just don't really listen they're they really just aren't happy and nice and creating amazing relationships and we never had that you know right we did not have that issue The, the prototypical like angsty teen uh, or stereotypical, not prototypical, stereotypical angsty teen never existed in our household and with any of them. I mean, Gabby included, but with any of them, nobody's ever been disrespectful. I mean, they maybe would get upset at moments, but they've never been in these funks of, uh, I mean, my kids have never been grounded. I mean, the, the word grounded's never even been used in our household. I don't know what that was would be like, but I was grounded a lot as a kid. And I don't think any of our kids have really had to be. Tati talks about when she was like three that she got spanked and she'd be the first to come on and say like, yeah, I deserved it. <laughs> but I think by after three, I don't think it ever happened. And I know um, 
I don't think Gabby ever had to be spanked. No, <laughs> right? I don't think me so. And Danny, it's like you look at me the us the wrong way, we start crying. <laughs> no, it's that right. Is that to say like that? Oh man, Robin, you were just such a drill sergeant. You were just so mean. But that's that's really what it's gonna come come down to today to talk about like. I was pretty mean. We're, we're still really good friends. I mean, I guess sometimes I get sad because I think Isabel's her best friend, but that's okay. I'm her mom. It's a, I, don't, I don't have to have best friend status, but I want them to be close and I think it's wonderful. Um, we're good friends. We have a good relationship, but there's still a boundary between um, discipline and we really want to talk about today this uh, other stereotype of what do they call it? Gentle parenting? gentle parenting? I don't know. I've never, I never did gentle parenting. I didn't really understand it, but there's definitely no, there's a line between gentle parenting and militant parenting. And that's what I hope to share with you today. So I don't know. Do you want to give any insight into what you felt like uh, was uh, your experience as a teen that made it so that you felt um, like you weren't angry and that you mm -hmm. want internally kind of wanted to be? Yeah. I don't think you felt like you had to be a good listener. It was just normal to... Right. And so, yeah, let's start with like around maybe 13 because it was before that we moved into an RV. It wasn't because we moved into an RV that it was this way. It was kind of what came before that. So given that we were a homeschooler whole life, that set us up better to have this opportunity because really what, came, what it came down to the key was having space and time to develop a sense of self. Um, and that was really key, especially in, when I was like 12 to 13 when we lived in the Coronado Cays. I remember just spending so many hours in my room because I was a good student as a homeschool student. I was, school was so easy for me. I'd finish things fast and I'd have all this time in my day um, to, I'd have to fill my time. And so because I had so much time in my life, I was always doing a creative project, always. always. And like in the morning I would go surf. Um, because you pushed me to go surf there was that sense of discipline like get up we're going surfing so there was that yin and yang balance there were like you get up you have to well do i would have gone without you you would have been mad <laughs> probably true i don't know at first i was at first it was terrifying but For I like, at first when it was terrifying but we're talking like a week or two right yeah it was like two weeks yeah, yeah two weeks okay. to a month where it was terrifying then it was like i'd go surf in the morning i'd get all my school done super easy and then i just have all this time in my day before i'd have to go to before i didn't have to at that point i was just doing gymnastics for fun and quit the competitive point of uh the competitiveness at that point had all the time to be creative and it was really key because i was had the gift of being able to cultivate that self before i needed to what you really need to cultivate that sense of self at is at 14. That's when your Svadhisthana, your sacral chakra, yeah. is supposed to develop and starts developing. Svadhisthana in Sanskrit literally means seat of self. Um, and so the seat of the self is supposed to be developed from the time you start 14 until 18 to 20. Um, and the problem I think really happens is that we're like it's the most extreme version of societal programming that we have because in middle school, most people who go to middle school they have that already that input is already coming in that they need to change themselves to be accepted before the time even really comes that they have to um, step into their sense of self so it's just like a slow drip where you're like teaching that message you're gonna have to change yourself to fit in you gotta change yourself to fit in so by the time they hit 14 um you are have already solidified that idea and you're not even getting that chance to really cultivate creativity and so i use the word creativity and it's important to note that creativity is self 
self is creativity or creative being. That's because when you create, you're, uh, you're demonstrating your sense of individuality. Correct. Like you can't, there's not, a, there's a, only you can come up with the creative idea you come up with. And to, in order to be creative, you can't be self-conscious. It's like anyone who's ever had like a, a writer's block or a creative block has, knows that. You cannot be focused on this external world to come up with ideas that are that really yeah. express who you are. And I think we have to first, if you want to um, be able to make progress with your kids in this sense, you have to kind of trust us on this, that sense of self, self-identity and creativity kind of all go hand in hand. And that it's not your fault if you don't get this because we have a self-identity crisis in the world. You might not necessarily know your own sense of self, because you weren't taught to embrace your sense of self. And you weren't taught it because guess what? Your parents didn't have it either. And so we have a generational crisis of lack of self identity. We might identify ourselves as a, whatever, a lawyer or a hairdresser or a mom, but that is not who we are. The label that we put on ourselves is not our sense of self, our sense of being, our sense of purpose. And so, it's really hard if I'm sitting here saying, hey, you need to like create space in your life and your day for your child to express their sense of self. If you're just feeling like, well, I don't I don't know who I am. I, I just have to get the laundry done. I have to get to work. I have to pick up the dry cleaning. I have to make dinner. You have all of these things. And so when I say sometimes like the hard part is that really it's coming down to you. Um, I can tell you, say that it came down to me. There's a point in my life where I decided like, I am hurt because my parents did this to me and I am not going to relive that. I'm going to go and heal that hurt and I'm going to figure out who I am and what makes me happy. And, you know, luckily I had some parts of my childhood that I think helped me with this in the sense that uh, I learned the term discernment from a very young age. It wasn't taught to me as discernment, but I was raised by a parent who gave me a lot of opportunities to take risks and fail. I, and then partially because of my personality type, being a type A, I was willing to go out into the world and try. And so I think that helped in the sense that when my kids were really young, I, was, I didn't have the fear of failure to complicate things. I think some people have the fear of failure and the fear of safety on top of it and so these if we go by root chakras your fear of um, safety and security root chakra fear of failure manipura solar plexus right between those two is sacral chakra and so if you have trouble understanding your sense of self it could be that you've got a blocked root chakra first of all that's like i'm just so scared and i'm not safe or you have a trauma from your childhood that is not allowing you to touch into this or you have a distorted version of sense of, fa of failure. failure. And it's funny because solar plexus or, yeah, the solar plexus chakra, which is where um, where emotion, it's the bridge, it's where self meets world, it's also where um, emotion meets world, um, and sacral chakra, they're very, very close together and they work together very closely. And so anytime in your life when you're afraid of failure, why are you afraid of failure? Well, that's because the self, who you are, believes that it's not going to be worthy if you fail and it thinks it's not going to be worthy if you fail and i know the word worthy doesn't resonate with some people so so it might just be like a different version of worthy it might be like i'm not capable enough i'm not smart enough but let's just say worthy for now 
if you don't have value on yourself, then your external accomplishments, any external thing that you're doing and engaging with in this physical, tangible, touchable world, and you see that this is a failure, then you're gonna be like, myself inside is not valuable because my external defines my internal. It's really what we're talking about here and the real um, solution to all of this is saying, myself that comes within creates myself that in the external world. And that happens when you stop going, the value out there makes my value in here. And the value in here is actually what creates value out there. Yeah, and on simple terms, let's just say you have, you don't homeschool. And even with homeschooling, this, this a lot of people still try to do school at home, which is causing the same complications. But let's say you take your, your child goes to school. Say you've been in this self-identity crisis of and Manipura where I have to, I have to have a big house. I have to have my status. I have to have nice cars. I have to, I have to, I have to. And so I have to send my kids to school so I can go do my job and, and they go to school and now they're being influenced in their sacral chakra by uh, fitting in. And then there's no form, no time and space because by the time they come home, they have to do, uh, say, sports or they have to do their homework or there's all these obligations outside themselves. So at some point, they run out of time in their day to find any other. Everything is about, it's not even space for failure. It's a, you don't have space for creativity and you don't have space for failure because Failure in that sense is I'm not the best on the team or I'm not great at my sport or I get bad grades. Everything is becoming rules by the external world. That's how our programming becomes distorted and we lose connection. So, so what is the answer? I mean, the answer is truly where sacral chakra and solar plexus kind of go hand in hand. The answer is allowing for failure. We can't step into allowing for creativity until we allow for failure. So could it be something as, as dramatic as like, you know what, you don't have to go to school or you don't have to get good grades. Because if we have this mindset shift to be like, I don't really care what you score on a test. I don't care what grades you get. I don't care what college you get to. If we freed that up and then we said, okay, but all I care is that you learn to have a creative expression of self. If you learn to identify with your sense of self, because it's easy to be like, I don't care if you get good grades or not. And the kids are like, all right, cool. I'm just going to go party with my friends or I'm just going to go ride my bike all day long. Well, at some point we have to have a transition where we allow for failure, but then we demand self-responsibility. And this is the part that I think is, was the crucial part in my kids upbringing is there was a shift from fine, do, do creative work, do whatever, you know, draw, paint, do video editing, all of that stuff is great, but you're hungry? Well, guess what? There's food in the fridge, right? Mm -hmm. Like there was that point that there was, there's an allowing the sacral chakra to develop, but then the Manipura had to step into self-responsibility. You want to eat, you need to cook the food. You want to eat tomorrow, you have to help clean the dishes, right? Yeah. yeah. Don't you think I that think was a like, big part that's... Yeah. And I always like try to wonder what the specific... Like, I try to think of why the specific reason was I listened, you know, because there was that demand. And I think a lot, a lot of times the problem is that yeah. there's still resistance. Even if you, a lot of people who tell their kids to do that, there's just so much anger or anxiety or whatever spectrum of emotion, they're still not going to uphold that. So then the reason comes back to why again. So yeah. why does that, why does that, that kid or teenager feel that way? Because if I had, if it were me, I was feeling anger. 
Anger is typically a, a, a sign of a different, deeper like emotion an or an unfulfilled. There's yeah. either way. It could be either an emotion that's deeper, that's more that's true. vulnerable, it's, okay, or it's an unfulfilled desire. So if if you're responding to that with like, hey, here's the expectation that you have to have self responsibility, there has to be a reason for um, a uh, deeper thing. A deeper thing, right? Yes. Okay, so then we're gonna get to, this is what I think in the end came down was the secret. So it wasn't that they got free time, that helped. Free time definitely helped to, to figure out like, oh, do I like this, do I not like this? Second was if definitely an element of expecting or demanding self-responsibility. But the key one was really what I came back to most of the time with you guys is like, what makes you happy? What do you want? What do you expect out of life, yeah. right? in some at a very young age i'm like it was just asked in a different way and yeah. that's also the thing because i don't remember ever you asking me that in that way until i was more like 16. okay so do you remember maybe what more well i can think of with tati because it's more recent because we had this trouble with her a couple years ago and we would want to go for a hike i was use that one it's an easy example and she's like well i don't want to hike i want to watch my movie and i'm like okay well are you going to watch your movie all day long? Is that what you expect? Well, well, no, I just, I want to watch my movie now. And so what, what happened was, so well, why don't you just write out your schedule? And I think that's what I did with you guys at a young age. I said, look, I, th I remember asking, like, do you guys feel like you shouldn't do any school? And they're like, well, no, I feel like I should do some, like, I feel like I should have some education. Okay. Do you feel like you should be able to read? Yes. Okay. We learned to read. Okay. Do you feel like you should, um, read only what I tell you to read or do you want to pick what you read? No, no, we'll pick what we read. So there was this question back and forth dialogue of like, okay, well, what do you expect? And let's create it within some parameters. And so Tati, do you remember we got to a point where we were traveling? I said, do you expect not to hike? She said, no, I like to hike. I just don't want to hike as far as you guys are hiking. Okay, well, can you do occasionally a big one for us and we'll do some smaller ones? Yes. Okay, do you what else is wrong with hiking? Well, you don't pack enough food. Okay, well, what do you expect to be packed for food? Do you think you can help out? So it was like at every single step, a really? give and take, like, mm -hmm. what do you expect? And what, what can I do for you? And what can you do for me? It was, right? It's really like, what do you want? And like, okay, I can't give you everything that you want. And you need to be upholding some level of, um, of like future orientation in your life. That's really what yeah. it comes down to. It's like, what do you want? And then does it align with some future a positive version of yourself or a family because yeah. like you don't want to you don't not do school because that affects your future too much and you don't just eat junk food all day because then it affects your future too much and you can't just say that you want to play video games all day because that affects your future too much yeah it's absolutely um trying to figure out okay what's your perception of the world now and what's your vision for the future and let's create an agreement on it mm -hmm. let's let's give and take we can um and the thing is, is, is hopefully tomorrow I'll bring Victor on and we'll do, do the same thing in our marriage. Because what happens is we are in a whole bunch of contracts based on assumption. And if you were as a parent, you might be assuming that your kid wants to get really good grades and get into a good college. And you're assuming that if they do get good grades or play sports and get a scholarship, that they'll get into a good college. And then you're making the assumption that that means they're going to be successful and that money is going to make them happy. So there's a whole bunch of assumptions going on that may or may not be true. Um, I could do a whole nother argument on like, 
that that line of success will probably not lead to happiness. And in the end, I'm going to make the assumption that you probably want your kid to be happy. Most parents I talk to are like, yeah, I want my kid to be happy, but I don't know how to navigate these things because I wasn't taught how to navigate um, each of these things. And so then you're making your kids making the assumption that if they do get good grades and play sports, that they're going to get more affirmation from you. And a lot of times it's deep down, they're just hoping they get more attention from you. And I know in my case, I didn't like that my parents didn't know who I was or care who I was. I mean, I was that generation of like, our kids, our parents didn't ask you like, how are you doing? Or, I mean, my dad, I remember asking like, what are you thinking? But I didn't feel comfortable enough sharing that. And so I would have needed more of a relationship built in, understanding emotions, that emotions are okay. And that's maybe where gentle parenting can be good is that we talk about emotions with gentle parenting, but there still has to be a line. Christiane Northrup said this very well. She said, when she sees uh, teenagers, you know, eighth grade or ninth grade, um, being disrespectful respectful to their moms and moms not stepping in and saying, no, that is not okay. It's because that mom is reliving her eighth grade years where she didn't get the uh, attention or affirmation, right? Her Acceptance, cousins. thank you, for, from her peers. And now she wants it from her kids. And I'm gonna tell you like deep down, I want my kids to be like, hey, we're going skiing. Will you go skiing with us? Please accept me and like bring me skiing. But at the same time, I'm not gonna do that to the extent that there's not boundaries and lines being set. Like, hey, I mean, I gotta say, Gabby makes dinner most nights and it's really good and I'm really appreciative of it. But it's only that she learned that skill when she was younger and I had to say like, hey, if you want to eat, you got to help out with some dinner. It's like, kind of true because I fast all day and I, I get to dinner time. I'm like, oh my gosh, no one started on dinner. I'm making dinner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she sees. Oh uh, yeah, we won't go there. But yes, Gabby makes amazing dinner yeah. and she she I think she has gratitude for the fact that and I make sure that there's a fridge full of amazing food so that when it's time to eat. Mm -hmm. But then it also sometimes, I mean, how many years did we finish surfing and go to Trader Joe's and, and I go, so what do you want to eat tonight? Yeah, that's true. I think also this is like kind of a tangent here, but this is why like the whole sum of what we do is mind, body, and spirit. Because every situation you're approaching, so this is family right now that we're approaching, it has to have mind, body, and spirit. And so we're kind of talking about mind right here, but this is where body actually comes in because there's already an intrinsic a value in place that we value our health as, as individuals. So my, my mom, uh, she's like, I value my health. My dad is like, I value my health. So it's, you lead by example. So then all, every kid, me and my four siblings were like, okay, so I'm supposed to value my health, especially because we all grew up as athletes. So like, okay, we gotta be strong and we gotta be healthy. And so then you take that. And then you also get to a point where like, we value good food. We like to enjoy our food. Our, our food is a ritual. We have dinner every night as a family. And I remember in the case, that was a really transitioning point because before that we ate okay, but not like amazingly healthy. We right? were, we would go to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The, because I think I didn't ha I didn't get home so late then. Yeah. We were getting home so late. So it was like, you, oh, bought, you were competing you for mm -hmm. gymnastics. So you'd yeah. get home at like 10 at night. It was like the stress life. Mm -hmm. constantly. And then we moved to Coronado Caves by the beach, closer to the gym. And then you, you would order a grass-fed cow from a local um, rancher. And then you would... Um, We'd have you'd a CSA only, box. Yeah, a CSA box. That was when we started... Um, I think I, that was the last year I ate dairy, but we'd only get grass-fed butter or raw milk. Mm -hmm. um, 
or we'd have like really artisan sourdough breads only. Okay, yeah. so then that, that would come for good food, right? <laughs> so then it becomes the idea that we are capable of cooking now because you have to value your health and you have to value good food, but if you continue to eat out, then you know that's not good for you. So there's just all of this led by example and led by learning constantly. So it's like you would learn about health and it would just, all of us kind of like followed this staggering staircase upward in terms of bodily body, valuing the body and health. And then I said spirit because um, this is kind of coming back to where we started with, but because I was exposed to that creativity from a young age, it was like this, it's weird because this is gonna kind of throw people if they're not expecting, if they're if they're still in the face of like, this is what I'm dealing with right now, you're not gonna tell me, it's your spirit. But I remember being, having that space for creativity, it was, it opened my sixth sense. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you don't have that sixth sense, it sets you up for this whole, um, whatever, domino effect going into your adult life. Um, and teaching that sixth sense to your kids as teenagers, I think would be so amazingly beneficial because it's learning that you're not the physical body. Mm -hmm. And if you know that, then you find that you start to let, it's just a little um, whisper at first, yeah. that sixth sense. But then that sixth sense is going to help you find wisdom in the years you go older. Because um, let's say you do try to take this, uh, go this route with your teenager they're actually going to reach a point where then they're, if they're go, go, uh, developing the way that they should to live a happy, fulfilling life, then they're going to reach a point like, like I did where they no longer fit in. And so then they have to find this other thing like, oh, now you don't get the thing you wanted in the first place. So you're going to have to find some other power out, power. And I'm not saying like religious power outside of you, but literally an energy outside of you to fuel you to keep doing this, um, wise take these wise actions take these intrinsically um fulfilling actions that aren't that are going to eliminate the things that you thought you wanted in the first place yeah and she's tapped on touched on something so powerful in that intuition and moving outside of the five senses right so we're so used to being uh distracted and um kind of manipulated by what we see what we hear the drama is like just just like our aches and pains in our body and there's this like energy field I you know if I if I work with you you know I do meditations and you know you start to feel like there's this energetic body like you're not touching your skin but you can start to feel it all around you and I think what happened is because we didn't start meditating until couple years ago and all of these things were instilled in my kids way be way before that so there's three ways that I think you can start tapping into it one is just through quiet time our family has like we said we had so much downtime and quiet time for creative space that um it was really hard when Victor, it was that was when Tati and Jariah both existed. well when they're <laughs> fighting but you you still had a lot of time where it was spent reading yeah. or was spent painting and it was still quiet like you had yeah, quiet time in your head I don't know if you had quiet oh, time me? Say that. <laughs> that's why I started surfing but even still me because I was this is where it's hard to tell if I'm introvert or extrovert but I'd spend a lot of time like prepping their school and I remember every Sunday sitting in quiet and Victor would be watching football and I'm like oh the noise I just want to be quiet and like in my head and think through what I want to teach them this week and and then we started so one was we had a ton of quiet time in the house 
reading. What about at Spirit when we lived in Spirit Lake Road? I feel like there was a lot of quiet time there. Oh, yeah. where I feel like you that guys was my whole life was a quiet time and other than like... Until I Tati mean, was born. Until Jariah was born. <laughs> Even Jariah, he slept a lot. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I think the kids but I remember our life was very like we interacted. It wasn't that we ignored each other, but we I were feel just like all like case, very yeah. quiet people. Yeah, and then Jariah is once Jariah was like five. Yeah, it got loud. Maybe, maybe four, something like three that. or four. Yeah, it's funny how the years blend together. But there was this definitely when I had only three kids, tons of quiet time. Gabby would be sitting playing with her Polly Pockets. Uh, Isabel spent years hours whatever in a stroller or her crib watching baby einstein right <laughs> she'd be like seven watching baby einstein <laughs> and danny kidding. just loved to read and write so there was so much that quiet that quiet space is absolutely where you start tapping into that sixth sense that intuition that now granted you are looking at something but there's a vibration that starts to occur okay two we started camping and going to the beach and then eventually mm -hmm. surfing. Uh, before then, I don't think we had as much of that because we were kind of disconnected from nature. Mm -hmm. And then we started immersing ourselves in nature more and more. And I think that's why Tati and Jariah developed these skills so readily at a young age is because they were in the forest. They were, yes. So young, so much that they, they started to to just absorb the ions of nature and that boosts that helps you out a lot too and then then we eventually started meditating while doing yoga yoga probably started helping it because you had that quiet space you started connecting with um moving the energy you're still in your physical body but there's still something happening don't you think in that yeah you finish sure. shavasana you always feel a vibration yes. something's happening yes. from that and then we started surfing a lot and then we started med oh sorry going to meditation and then that's when we really tapped into it and i'd say like so you can you can approach it from any direction but i know the fact that jirai and tati have been meditating for the last mm -hmm. year or two and from a young age something magical happens yeah. for them in tapping into this intuitive sense and then on top of it, I think eating healthy makes a big difference because you're not having to fight the chemicals. Absolutely. I feel like uh, when you're, especially as a kid, you're, you're trying to deal with like all these emotions, thoughts, and you haven't been, I mean, most adults haven't been taught to deal with those. But then as a kid, you definitely haven't been taught how to deal with those. And by deal, I mean, how do you process thoughts? How do you process information? And so you're kind of not that conscious of the process. And so if you have food just throwing out, throwing up the patterns of how it's supposed to communicate with your brain. Now you're really not going to understand what's going on. Yeah. And remember, you have a whole brain inside your gut. So if you're... You have a whole brain inside your heart, too. That's true. All these, all these, all these different tools. Um, I think the big one is, the big take home today would be to, we used to have a saying. In fact, I laughed that I'm finally five years later coming back to things that I wrote in my books five years ago, be who you want your kid to be. And if you have an angry child or an angsty young adult, or they're struggling with anxiety, they're struggling with depression. I still, still think it starts with, I think everything starts with third eye, but I think it starts with sitting down and going like, so I, I feel, I feel that your pain. I see that you're hurt that, or you're hurting and I want to help you. Like, what do you think would be your biggest win in life? Like being able to ask your kid that, 
Do I kind of ask you guys that sometimes? Yeah. What would be your biggest win? What? I remember though for so many years, I couldn't answer that question. Like, I mean. That would be too much. It was, well, I specifically remember 13, before we moved into an RV, we did happiness class. Oh, yes. And it was like, you taught these concepts, but it was like, I don't know. I have another YouTube video about that, um, the book Happier, but I basically took that book Happier and taught that to them as a homeschooling curriculum. Gosh, how, how essential it is though t to show and lay out for kids, hey, like this is what you're doing right now. This is the path you're on. You're going to go to school and uh, you're going to hope, hope to get into a good college and you're going to hope to get into a good college. So hopefully you get good grades in college so that you hopefully get a good job so you hopefully make a lot of money. And if you lay that out for a kid, most kids are going to be like, oh, I didn't know that's what my life is going to be like. Where Because you're just slowly ingraining the belief that this is what you're going to do, this is what you're going to do. But when you lay it out in a, like a slow, deliberate way, like, look, this is, this is it. And we're not going to idealize it because it's society, programming, movies, television, all of it just ingrains the idea that you're going to have that. And it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, but then as a parent, when, when you taught happiness class to us, it was like, hey, not only do you not have to have that, but there's all this gray space, huge, way more gray space than there is this one option. And for me, that was kind of just like, okay, wow. Well, one, it was, it was a jaw drop moment because I didn't know, I was like, I did not know that there was other options. And two, it just slowly over time that, that cultivated curiosity it took six to seven years before it even turned into any sort of desire, really. Yeah, and I think just um, then that's where Mani Pura comes in. If you just do things with your kids and give them a chance, provide a canvas for opportunity, back to failure, right? Experience things. It was because simultaneously you had those questions and then simultaneously we would go on a road trip. Remember the first one to the Sequoias? And that was like their first time to ever go for like a one mile hike and to stand yeah. by big trees and like, wow, okay, this is cool. And then uh, again, parents, this is hard. I know it's hard. I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm just encouraging you to you know, there was a point where I was so intense, like, yeah, you got to be the best soccer team player. You got to score goals. You got to get gold medal. And then there's a point where I'm like, shoot, if you don't want to throw a back handspring on beam, you don't have to like quit. Who cares? It's, it's just gymnastics. I had to let go of my attachment to her success in a sport. That's what we're talking about in this. You, it, the self-identity or the self-image crisis has to start with you healing your self-identity crisis and your um, attachment to your child's results, your own worthiness blocks. Um, there was a point where I'm like, yeah, this is dumb. And it only happened for me because I started going and experiencing joy in other ways that I'm like, yeah, why are we, why are we doing this? This is not, this is not serving your timeline any better. And so we tried different things. We're still trying different things. We're yeah. still trying new, new sports, new travel. Like we went to Florida and like, okay, well, parts of Florida were really cool. Some things we I never knew like it would be so cool to, to look at an alligator 10 feet from me. Or there's things that those are all important, valuable things that we have to um, take in and let them resonate. Just experiences in life. There's so much gray space out there that... Um, it's, it shouldn't be just school or no school, house or RV, um, homeschooling or not homeschooling. We're trying to teach how to nurture the individual so that they can 
they can grow and experience whatever their version of a good life is. There are plenty of people that are super successful, super rich and very happy and they're good people. There's nothing wrong with being rich as long as you're forming what, connections, good health. Um, as long as you're acting from intrinsic values, really. Yeah. Really, I mean, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people who are good people, but and they're like rich and they've done all the things and they're content, but they're not deeply happy from within. I think that's the recalibration of, of, of we're not trying to achieve success in the typical sense is success is your most fulfilling life. Yeah, so let's finish off with like bringing, I think Enneagram's an easy starting point well, too. I was gonna say actually, oh, one thing I wanted to mention okay. because um, you started talking about where, you know, you feel for the parents right now because it's a self-image crisis and that they were never taught these skills. So right. then it's, they don't know how to teach those tools and skills to their kids. And so one aspect we kind of touched on, but didn't necessarily touch on would be to, we're such a, we're in a masculine society. And whereas we elevate consciousness, we're going to be entering more of a masculine feminine balance in the coming years. Twin flames. Twin flame. <laughs> um, but we are in a masculine society where we often have a patriarchy. Um, and it's not necessarily this like idea of feminism. It's not it at all. Um, but masculine of like we have structures in place and logic and rationality are valued more than anything else. So. We talked about the yin and yang, but in also working with um, your own self-image crisis, it's important to let yourself step into the feminine version that you've never let yourself feel. Now, this is not just for women. Feminine is in every human being. Every human being has a masculine and feminine side. And the point of this is that a lot of times people are experiencing self-image crises because they've never allowed themselves to feel the negative, uh, painful emotions that they felt when they were between 10 and 20 and maybe even before 10, really from zero to 20 years old, they never let themselves feel those emotions. So then they act from a numbing inside. And it's like, if we're trying to come inwards and express with our with a teenager or a kid like hey how are you what are you thinking right now what are you feeling what are you feeling right now because you're acting angry you're acting rude or you're acting all these ways well have you asked yourself those questions are you asking yourself um why you're feeling why you're having all these behaviors and all every behavior comes back to an emotion because we're emotional human beings and so i remember when i was growing up like that i and I don't know if this was necessarily from you, but I felt like I was not allowed to feel emotions. And I've like taught myself in the past years of, of RV living, like it's okay to have emotions. And I think most people have never even given themselves that permission to feel emotions. So when you're working on your self image, it's allow yourself to feel those emotions because that's the skill you're gonna have to teach your teenagers if you're gonna actually successfully work through any, um, I guess, behaviors that they're, or difficulties that they're experiencing. I think it is uh, Myers-Briggs related because I think, because uh, Gabby's F-E and I'm, I'm F-I, meaning I'm very in tune to how I'm feeling and she's very in tune to how others are feeling. Um, in fact, uh, yeah, she, she, when she was really young, she'd get upset and <laughs> I'm going to say something embarrassing. <laughs> but she'd get really upset and be like, I'd try, like, tell me what's wrong, tell me what's wrong. And she just could not open her throat chakra and be like, I'm feeling embarrassed because I'm going to be five minutes late and all my friends 
you know, they're all buddy buddy and go to school together. And now I'm going to feel like an outsider because you got me here five minutes late. And at the time it was something just that simple of that. If she had just said, and if I had clued into like, oh, that's what she's feeling, but it came out as so much just like hurt and pain, but couldn't verbalize it. Um, I don't think it takes us uh, being a genius as a parent to slow down and think like, put yourself in your kid's shoes. Now that would never have happened because I would have been able to pick up on it really quickly. Like, oh, wow, you know, all of them are all clicky and she's showing up late. She doesn't, she wants to feel like she's part of the part of that and part of that's okay but part of it would have been me nurturing too like does it really matter what they think and I mean that's the sum total of what Gabby yeah, talks I mean, about and then the other thing is I think you're you're gonna have 50 50 percent of the population who's gonna be very good at handling their own emotions and 50 percent of the population is not gonna know how to handle their emotions because you've got FIFE splits and I would say that you know I still don't really express emotions but I do express emotions for my for my own beneficial highest self i write them all though it doesn't have to be verbal and i think that's an important starting point um to note because yes. if you try to communicate it it's not going to work and then you're not going to necessarily and then you're just stuck because that's an important step if you're going to move through the rest of this whole parenting <laughs> and then I was, I was thinking of this uh what about the, the fact so i am fi but mine also like spews out easily and then it's her type eight <laughs> And so if anything, like she definitely wasn't taught don't hide your emotions because my emotions came out all the time. And so I do think it, it hindered some parts and it helped some parts. It helped in the sense that my kids were not programmed that emotions are bad because they're like, well, mom brings hers out all the time. It was bad in this, it, probably in the sense that they probably feared having that much emotion come out of themselves at times, maybe. Maybe. Um, and so it was one that I've navigated. I think, do you think I, I diffuse my emotions slightly better? Just a little, yeah. can I get 1%? Yeah. <laughs> better, yeah. Better than you said. Yeah. And, and, uh, but, I, but it used to come out really fiercely at times, not necessarily towards them, but just in general, it would come out intensely. And, uh, I think the point of that is, uh, if you're hiding your emotions from your child, that's going to be a big roadblock for you down the road. I think my kids knew from a very young age that I struggle. This is what I'm trying to do, but I'm struggling. Would you yeah. say that? I mean, I think that... I, I don't yeah, think my parents didn't show me that. How are you supposed... How are you as a kid supposed to accept the fact that you're supposed to have... Your, your persona is going to fail because when you're having a hard time, your persona just fails, right? You're trying to uphold this perfection. How are you as a kid supposed to allow yourself to feel imperfection or failure as a persona if you've never seen anyone do it? And so let's finish with, uh, we're so we are watching uh, the event. Is that what it's called? The event. And um, who's the Galaga, Dave? I was watching, uh, I was watching Dave. I knew I wasn't going to remember the name. Anyways, he talks all about this, that... Um, he just says it in a different way than I say it, but I'm, so I'm going to share how he says it. He says it, it comes down to what is your heart's desire? I say it in script out what your perfect day would be. What would your perfect day with your child be? What would their perfect day be? What would their, what are you aiming for in the future? Joe Dispenza says it in like visualizing the person you want to be. It's all coming from the same thing. We can sit here and spend time crying about our traumas. We can sit here and complain about 
how your kid was a brat and didn't um, do their homework and didn't turn in their assignment or didn't, didn't do all these other things or that they're disrespectful. But that doesn't really take us anywhere in the future. What we have to do is come to an agreement with ourselves and with each other and like, what should tomorrow look like? How do you want me to interact? What do you want out of yourself? What, do you, what are you willing to do to, to make that happen for yourself? What would joy look like tomorrow? What would passion um, lead you to go experience tomorrow? All of those things, like he says it, um, like it, it, it's good to express, but we need to just latch on to who you want to be. And I think that that's a major message that we're saying here on Defy the Norm and Making Mindfulness Fun is take that third eye and use that third eye as your anchor. If you can see the version of yourself, I know when I was, she's, I would have been 23, I think when Gabby was born, that at 23 years old, I had some element of a vision of this moment right now recording. Did I have it like that I knew that she was going to record a video about this with me? No, but I knew that the feeling that I wanted to create in that relationship and everything has stayed aligned to that feeling. So if you can just focus on the feeling, stay aligned to that, you'll be able to navigate this. But you're going to have to like strip away all those programs that are telling you what you are supposed to be as a, an adult because this, those aren't going to serve you anymore. Yeah, I wanted to share that one quote also yes. from the event. Um, and this is a quote by Emma Zach, and I thought we both thought this was a really accurate for this whole self-image crisis. And the quote is that the belonging gained from following the crowd is not belonging. That is chronic self-abandonment. Right. Go find yourself. You know where to find us. We can always help you on this journey. It's our passion. So we're here doing. And um, if not us, then, you know, reach out to somebody to, that can guide you along the way. Namaste. Namaste.